to the Infertile Mafia. That's Kayla. And that's Sarah. Sarah, what's your news for me today? Oh, okay. So I just got the experimental... um, (laughs) I can't remember what she said. I just got the vaccine. Oh, the biological experimental... uh, Jab. No, wait, what was it? The experiment... Experimental biological agent. Yes, I just got that. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and? it went fine. But I got, uh, so I've been helping my dad paint a building, like an office building, long story. But um, I walked in, he's like, oh, no, I hope it didn't make you infertile. <laughs> <laughs> dad. I'm like, that's a good one. Uh, dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and. Um, You're like, jokes on you, dad. I already fucking am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my aunt died of COVID. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like recently? Yeah. Like, I think it was Friday. Oh, Sarah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's sad. I'm, she was 80 or about to turn 80. So, um. She had it two months ago, and then a bacterial infection happened and shut her body down. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry, that was a downer. Yeah, we were on such a high. But I wanted to, like, point out that people do die from COVID. And you should go get the vaccine. Or, you know, don't. Or don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I got... Did you have any symptoms? um, My arm itched Still my arm was pretty a little sore bit. too it felt like I was laying on something in bed like something plasticky hard mm. and I'm like oh, what am I laying on and then I was like oh it's just my arm mm. <laughs> I think mine hurt for a good 24 hours and then it was fine and I didn't have any other symptoms I'm getting my second shot next week woohoo did you get Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson? Moderna, I think. That's what I got. Yeah, We're Moderna's I sister. You know what I love about the Moderna vaccine? What? It all comes full circle. Oh, because... is it by Abbott? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. No, but it's... um. So, you know, my icon, my hero, Miss Dolly Parton, yes. who is part of the mafia because she had severe endometriosis, had to have a partial hysterectomy. She could never have kids. I've talked about this many times. We but should anyway, get her on. We should We should just call Dolly Parton and ask her to come on the show. Do you think she would come on if I made her the godmother of oh. my children? Uh, probably not. Oh. She probably has a billion godchildren. I think she's Miley Cyrus's godmother. Yeah, that's true. She is her official godmother. Like, would um, you want some more? <laughs> she like she gave this huge donation back in like a year ago now, April of 2020, to the um, lab or company, I don't know, whoever came up with the Moderna vaccine. So we have, I mean, she wasn't the only one, but she gave them a very large, substantial donation. Yay, Dolly. So, we have Dolly partly to thank for our vaccines. She's just awesome. She's just the best. She's just the best. Well, I'm glad you're you're um, halfway vaccinated. Yeah, I'm happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you um, are too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, I'm get to see my parents this week. 
um, they are fully vaccinated. Yay! Um, but it's been so long, and I'm just anxious to see them. So I'm excited. Um, the other thing I wanted to tell you, I wanted to congratulate you on. Oh, <laughs> like what? Oh, okay. Go you on. guys, you guys, Sarah's reel that she put on our Instagram as of today. I'm going to check it right now. This would be the one where she's videotaping herself, cutting her own bangs. <laughs> And you only put it up there, right? Because we talked about it on the podcast and you were like, oh, I'll put this here so everyone can see what I was talking about. Someone tagged us in someone else cutting their bangs. And they're like, oh, Oh. yeah, like when the Infertile Mafia talked about that. I'm like, oh, I think I have a video of it. So I'll put it up. And you do. And I mean, what constitutes viral at this point? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) As of today, as of today, when we're recording this, it has 2,133,493 plays. Maybe I should put on TikTok, <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you started the TikTok, you might as well put some content on I guess there. so. I was, oh my gosh, it had like 6,000 views and I'm like, oh no, people are watching it. And then like an hour later, it said 12,000. I'm like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> And then it just, just like the song and it, it just kept going up. I'm like, and then I talked to you. I'm like, maybe I should take it down. I look stupid. And you're I like, know. you can do what you want. I'm like, yeah, I'll just keep it up there, I guess. And now I'm like, you, you can still do what you want. I don't you. No, I'll leave it up it. there. It's too late now. <laughs> 2.1 million views later. It's probably been grabbed and. Well. Um, congratulations on our most viewed social media post ever for the podcast is you cutting your bangs. Thank you. <laughs> yes. You're it's welcome. just, and then we have hairstylists being like, that's not how you do it. I'm like, I'm not a professional <laughs> I, and you're telling me too late. <laughs> you're like, I know that's not how you do it. I put it on here to make fun of myself. No, I'm like, it's too late now. Right. I guess for the future, if I decide to cut my bangs again, which I probably will at some point. What if they use your video in like beauty school someday? <laughs> like we what not do to do this. <laughs> and then I was getting mixed, mixed messages because someone's like, hold them up and cut them. And someone's like, never hold them up. Yes. <laughs> you have to be wet. No, they need to be dry. It's like, and then can't someone please said, you people. Dry hair shrinks. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> or then they said wet hair shrinks. I'm like, my hair was dry. It's just greasy. <laughs> That's probably a no-no too. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. I think it's funny yeah. that hairstylists are like, funny. no, don't. <laughs> yeah, don't do this. I just think it's funny that hairstylists found their way over to an infertility yeah, Instagram like, account. Yeah, they're like, don't do, I'm, I'm afraid Brad Mundo is going to be watching it and reacting. <gasps> I love his videos, though. I know. I do. I love those videos. But usually he's like, oh, it looks pretty good at the end of that. <laughs> right, He's right, usually right. pretty nice. He is. Yeah. Hey, and and I, that last frame of you, that picture, you do look bomb. Come on. Yeah. I mean, for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I 
don't do what I did and cut your own bangs <laughs> at home because you'll look stupid on the internet. <laughs> anyway, so um, that happened. So that happened. Uh, today we have um, an interview with a urologist who specializes in male factor infertility. And I got to tell you, I have to get this off my chest, Sarah. What? Because... You know how I was anticipating, I did not say this to her face because she's a professional. I'm going to say it to you now. Okay. Um, you know how people call it like people who are TikTok uh, influencers or whatever, they call them like a TikToker. Yeah. I could not get out of my head thinking about talking to her. I kept calling, referring to her like I, even when I was talking to Bill about it as a dick doctor. <laughs> I just kept thinking, like, I was, I'm going to talk to the dick doctor today. <laughs> I just feel like I, that's what I think of when I think of a, a urologist. You're a dick doctor. How can you not call yourself that? That's what I would. That's I mean, let's see if that's let's see if anyone has that on Instagram. Dick the doctor. alliteration. <laughs> I mean, it's catchy, right? It is. So or, her name. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. I was just going to make a joke about. Dicks. Dicks. That's fine. <laughs> Go on. So Dr. Mary Semplaski, um, that's her name. She um, practices in Los Angeles and she works closely with Aries out there. Um, and she just, she specializes in male infertility. So um, she talks about kind of like why you would want to see her. Um, what she does, and then answered a bunch of questions that you guys submitted, um, you know, that only someone with her expertise could answer, like sperm DNA fragmentation, Ooh. morphology, varicoceles, frequency on how often you should choke the meat. Choke the chicken. <laughs> Whatever it is. Choke the chicken. <laughs> What did I say? The five knuckle shuffle. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that one. And then she gives some just like general tips and recommendations to uh, for men and their and their fertility. So I think it's really um, thought provoking and helpful. So here's Dr. Semplaski. Okay, once again, I was just talking talking to Dr. Mary Semplaski, but I want to thank you formally. Did I say your name right, by the way? You did an amazing job. That was the, <laughs> the eyebrow raise. Like, I hope you're Midwestern-based, but that <laughs> does not happen all the time. <laughs> oh, well, you are a fellowship-trained, board-certified urologist who specializes in male infertility. Did I get that right? Dead. <laughs> Great. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. So um, within the world of urology, infertility is a sort of small niche specialty. Um, but um, I basically do what I can to sort of optimize male factors. So, um, you know, as everybody sort of knows, it takes sperm and an egg to sort of have a baby. Um and I try and do everything that we can to sort of optimize sperm factors, whether that's more sperm, better swimming sperm, better looking sperm, 
sperm delivery. So I, I'm, I'm the male end. I sort of optimize the sperm stuff and, and help the guys feel like they have a voice in the whole process. I have so many very irreverent questions that I'll keep to myself. <laughs> I'm curious how you chose the field. Yeah. I bet you get that question a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's funny. I, um, it's not what I sort of ever, you know, sort of when I was a young girl sort of thought I was going to do, but um, going through the sort of urology specialties, um, I just thought infertility was, it's, it's, definitely a little bit more what we would say in medicine sort of cerebral so there's a lot more sort of layers to it right it's not just like it's a cancer cut it out it is okay there's you know sperm and egg both mm -hmm. go into making a baby people have different sort of um schedules needs some people really don't want to do ivf some people ivf is like totally okay um um sometimes it's literally things like people live on different sides of the country i thought the genetics was very interesting i think all the things that we don't know about male infertility i think that's i mean to be sort of a part of a field that there is so much potential for growth um i think is very interesting i like what you're saying about um wanting to be in a, a field that has so much potential for growth because uh, at least in my experience, and you know, we did IVF um, over five years ago now, but, and my husband had male factor infertility, and I live in a big city, Chicago, and I, I did, had never heard of a urologist that specialized in male factor infertility, um, and I know that, that a lot of people I know have had the same experience, so I'm glad there's people like you, that, especially because it seems like you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the kind of like uh, it seems like people don't give enough or they don't understand that they that male factor infertility is, is often a contributor in this. It's not it's not as one sided as people would would think, you know, it's more common, I guess, is a better way of saying that um, than I think people even realize. Yeah, I mean, just statistically, we know that about um, half of infertility cases will have a male factor component. But I, I think to be very fair, often the female partner is sort of the driving force. And so sometimes the male factor does get overlooked to some degree, but um, you know, then when you can help somebody with male factor issues, I mean, oftentimes you can help couples sort of get where they want to be more quickly or with um, less, you know, less invasiveness, uh, or for people who sort of need IVF, hopefully you get it done with the least number of cycles. Absolutely. That's the goal, right? <laughs> yep. Just, I'll tell you the most, um, gratifying part of my job is when people send me an email with either their ultrasound or, you know, cute little baby where they're dressed up and like, nestled in the little cabbage patch, like a little pea in the pod. Like it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be involved in. And yeah. I think that's honestly how I sort of ended up here. Absolutely. Okay. So I've got some listener questions for you. Um, and these came from the people that listen to the podcast, either through our Instagram or our Facebook group. Um, and I c tried to compile the most common ones, you know, and I thought some of them were really good. So listeners, good job. <laughs> um, so the first one, 
why might an evaluation by a urologist be helpful? And what are the limitations of only doing a semen analysis? Yeah, so there are, um, there's actually sort of good studies on this and like the three main umbrellas for why a milk factor evaluation outside of just a semen analysis is important is um, number one to sort of the short-term goals of just helping couples achieve pregnancies. So we know that reproductive urologists can help improve guys' semen parameters. Sort of what I tell people is more sperm, um, hopefully will, you know, especially more swimming sperm, um, is always a good thing, uh, no matter which, if you're doing natural IUI or IVF, but sort of optimizing things. Because we know in a good number of men, there are things that we can do. Um, there's non-invasive things that we can do. I mean, I, there's so many guys who I see who come in who are using testosterone supplements. And we sort of tweak that um, because testosterone from the outside will lower sperm counts. And like you see the sperm counts just sort of blossom. Um, and that, that's great because these are couples who now can hopefully avoid something more invasive. Um, uh, then there's also the aspect of people who are going to need... IVF. Um, there's so much data showing that if you, you know, when the guy sees a urologist and has any underlying things fixed, so whether it's varicoceles or lifestyle factors or environmental exposures, um, that those IVF cycles work better. So you'll get higher fertilization rates, higher, you know, blast rates, higher embryo, embryo progression rates, and lower miscarriage rates and higher live birth rates. So all the parameters um, like we can make those better. And so, cause ultimately people want to take home baby and, and we, you know, that's what we want to give them. And then the last part is that, um, just helping these guys, the men be sort of healthy fathers. Um, there was a study that looked at a survey of, um, a high volume urology, reproductive urology clinic. And basically what they found was that five to 10% of these guys, um, had pathology that would affect them as dads. So whether it was like prediabetes, thyroid issues, testis cancer, prostate cancers, um, things that are not just going to help the couple sort of get pregnant and have a baby, but like ensure that the dad's going to be around and he's going to be sort of healthy and be able to sort of be engaged. Um, so there's, I feel like the short-term aspect and then the long-term aspect, um, but that's why it's important sort of to have a urology evaluation. So would you recommend that for anyone who can, or is there a specific parameter that you think, oh, this is when you need to come see someone like me that goes beyond just, and how, what are your other evaluations beyond yeah. a semen analysis? Yeah. So, um, so Per the American Society of Reproductive Guidelines, both couples, I mean, both partners are supposed to be evaluated in tandem. Um, we know that that doesn't happen, all, you know, like a large portion of the time. Um, and, and I mean, you know, it sort of is what it is. The reality is that often guys don't want to go to doctors anyhow. And, you know, I think telemedicine has helped to that to some degree. Um, but, you know, the thing is, when you look at a semen analysis, you are getting a snapshot. But, you know, you're also not getting what can you do to make that better. Um, you're not getting any information on the DNA quality or how that sperm actually sort of works. Um, and so I think there's an opportunity to 
sort of not just see the raw semen parameters, but how can we, how can you make those better um, that exists with a urologist? Because the reality is, you know, and I am I work with my reproductive uh, gynecology colleagues extensively, but they're they're gynecologists. Like they don't do testis exams. Like they don't manage male hormones. They don't, you know, and, and that, right. Conversely, like I have not done a pap smear in since I was in, in, in medical school. I mean, so it's, you know, we, it's, it's different. It's just different sort of specialties. And so um, I think you miss the very short answer to your question is I think without a urology evaluation, um, you miss the opportunity to sort of cover that base and be sure that all the male stuff is optimized. Good answer. So, um, and you kind of teased this, some things you can, you can do. We'll save that to the end. (laughs) Um, let's talk about morphology. There's a lot of questions and debate about morphology. I remember my husband had really low morphology, but my doctor at the time said, well, if you can get all the numbers up, the morphology isn't quite as, as much of an issue if you can get everything up. So, what is your opinion on that? How much does it actually matter? And is there anything you can actually do to improve it? Because that's a tough one, I think. Yeah, um, I think, the, to be very honest, I think we as medical professionals are, are still sorting uh, the impact of morphology on infertility. Um, very traditionally, uh, morphology was... Um, sort of if, if guys had poor morphology, the couple was IVF bound. Um, and then, you know, as changing semen parameter, um, sort of uh, classifications, like that number became more and more strict. And now there's different grading criteria. Uh, and then, you know, compounding it is that there's a whole array of, of what um, what sort of goes into morphology. So is somebody who has a tail defect the same thing as somebody who has, you know, cytoplasmic droplets versus like doesn't have an acrosome? Are those all equal in terms of their weight? Um, and and so I think it is a very, you know, it's a very heterogeneous or mixed group of, of men. Um, traditionally, as I, I sort of was saying, most of these people, if they have very low morphology, were sort of guided to IVF. Um, the most recent Evidence probably shows that morphology does not matter as much as we thought, which can be very confusing for couples and for you know physicians alike, um, because you never know. And I think this is sort of an important point: is you never know like what the actual cause of the infertility is. Mm-hmm. You know, we sort of do we sort of do the best we can, right? But um, you know, we, there are couples who have completely normal semen parameters who are having trouble getting pregnant. And so, you know, we sort of think like, oh, it's the morphology and people who that's the only identifiable abnormality, but we don't know that for sure. Um, you know, and, and as I sort of said, like the, the data is just mixed. The older data said that morphology meant IVF and then the most recent data so it shows that morphology doesn't seem to matter as much. Um, there was a study recently that showed that even people with very poor morphology, um, like 0% normal forms fertilized equally well with IUI um, compared to guys with normal morphology. Wow. And so it really, it, it just, but it just sort of shows us like, we don't know the answer to that question. We don't, we just, I honestly think, I don't think we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I would say if it was me, I would try and do everything to sort of optimize morphology and people do. Um, 
For some people, the supplements help. For some people, they don't. Um, I personally believe in you know a healthy lifestyle, diet, and exercise. Um, there's there's definitely good evidence that exercise can improve a guy's baseline testosterone production. Um, to be very honest, I sort of believe in um, sort of uh, just global stress reduction. There's not really a whole lot of evidence on that, but I do think sometimes the guys sort of feel a little um, under the microscope or sort of like they're being like hyperanalyzed. And, um, and then the other things that we know could improve morphology is if, they, if the guys have varicoceles, uh, those are dilated veins that heat up the testicle and the sperm are being produced. Um, that can do it. Um, other things, just cigarettes, marijuana, that can sort of uh, impact morphology. Um, that's also a very mixed bag because there's so Alcohol. many different ways that people sort of ingest these things. Um, but yeah, if guys can sort of scale down on those things, um, you know, whenever I, I don't know, whenever I guys are sort of told like quit cold turkey sometimes i worry that the stress response to that is going to be sort of mm. you know those two factors are going to be in opposition but yeah the lifestyle things uh and sometimes you can't sometimes you like don't get them there but uh i think we always just sort of do what we can to get them there and um see if that improves their their fertility but the very short answer to your question is, I don't think we 100% know the role of morphology and fertility. Got it. And I want to back up really quick, just in case anyone listening is new to the infertility world. When we're talking about morphology, we are referring to the shape of the sperm, correct? Yeah, so two, the... Two heads, um, two tails, no head, no tail. Yeah, so it's it's sort of how the sperm look under the micro, microscope. So there, there's all these sort of criteria for what defines a perfect looking sperm. Um, the ratio of the head to the neck to the tail. Does the tail have a perfect curve? How many little water droplets are in the in the head? Um, you know what I what I tell patients is okay when you when you look at a human in general, we've got a head, a body, two arms, and two legs. But does that really tell you like sort of how things are working on the inside? And who sort of defined like what is like the exact right proportion? Mm-hmm. But for sperm, we do. We have those those parameters. Is the head an oval? Does it have the acrosome cap, which is the the enzyme that sort of bores through the egg? Um, so it's how they look, as defined by sort of criteria that define what a perfect sperm looks like. Cool. I think it's so cool. There's all these. There's as many different sperm as there are people, probably. <laughs> Perfect, the perfect sperm. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to something you just said that caught my ear about studies where men with 0% morphology were successful with IUI. I feel like that is amazing and should give a lot of people hope. I mean, I don't want to give false hope, but that is really something. Um yeah. yeah. And it just goes to your yeah, point I, that we don't know that these are just parameters that they only tell us so much, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 that's a very good way to say it. And I think we've all seen, or maybe, maybe not you guys, but, um, I can't tell you the number of couples. I mean, there are, there are outliers on either end. I've seen couples who I say, you know, your chances probably with even like a low sperm count, but who sort of, for whatever reason, you know, ART is not something that 
they feel okay with. Um, so you know, your chances are very low. And I've seen I've seen it happen. I've, I've seen people beat the odds. And then there are people who everything is stone cold normal, like very young female partners, like amazing quality sperm. You know, everything is like 100 million sperm, 80% motility, 70% morphology, and they're just not getting there. And so um, I just think there's so much that we don't that we don't know. And I think in general, medicine tries to do the best we can. You know, we go into this wanting to help people, but um, it is for sure an imperfect science. I have to imagine as a physician, I certainly know this is true as the patient, but that that um, teetering between there's so much we don't know can be both like exciting and humbling, but also really frustrating. <laughs> At least it is for me as the patient. You know, it's definitely frustrating for patients. Yeah. Uh, is there, you know, you see so many people doing everything that they can, absolutely right. everything that they can, you know, and, um, you know, not, not sitting in hot tubs, like not going to bars with their friends, although we don't go to bars anyhow at yeah. this point in the world. Um, but, you know, like taking all these vitamins and like not enjoying their favorite foods and, um, you know, time, you know, time in their intercourse. And when, you know, the wife is ovulating, like it's go time. And, uh, you see, you know, you see couples doing all of these things and you hope it sort of makes a difference and doesn't sort of, at least at the very least sort of cause relationship stress. Mm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely frustrating for couples. Uh, you know, it's frustrating for physicians just because we try so hard to do the right thing by our patients, but um, it's all you can do. I mean, that's all you can do for most, most parts of life is sort of do the best you can. Right. You can only control so much. And it, I feel like it goes back to something you were just talking about that there is a, um, something you're constantly weighing between are these measures I'm taking actually causing me more stress that could have an adverse effect on whether it's sperm quality, egg quality, definitely quality of life like implementing all these things you know can not always be the it's and it's hard it's like a hard balance you know i i felt i i had that experience i think that doing all the things made me more stressed than just living my life yeah yeah, yeah and um i can't tell you the number of times that I've seen guys cry in my office, um, you know, either the spouse is with them or, you know, the spouse or the you know, partner steps out and they just cry mm. because they're like, I'm trying so hard. And it feels like she sort of doesn't appreciate it. Or so I, I, I do sort of <laughs> encourage the female partners to be kind to your male because I think sometimes they internalize a lot of it. And most of the time they are, they are trying in their sort of, sometimes less vocal way than the women are. I think that's very well said. They, they get a, um, and they don't have as much representation in the infertility community, that's for sure. Um, at least in my husband's experience, it was like, I don't have anyone I can talk to about this, whereas I had like a wealth of, I, I still have friends to this day that I met online through the infertility community, but there's sometimes no outlet for men. It's It's not nothing, but it's just, a lot less yeah so and it's, it's so common and I, I try so hard to like guide people down this path but it's so common for um 
somebody to say, well, it's, it's her fault or it's his fault. You know, it's, we found out it's his sperm. That's the reason. And I, that can't feel good for the guys, you know, and then, you know, but then the flip side, sometimes I've had the guys say, well, you know, her uterus has, you know, a malformed and, and I'm like, well, you know, honestly, you guys are in this together. Like this isn't anybody's fault. You guys are working at this sort of as a team, um, to achieve a common goal, but that, uh, you know, when I, when, I don't know, whenever I hear one say, well, it's their fault that we're not getting there, it definitely sort of, I try and sort of like, yeah. it's nobody's fault. Like nobody's at fault here. You guys are both doing the best you can. I like that. Let's take the word fault out of the vocabulary when it comes to <laughs> on either side. It brings in so much like shame and guilt and all these and things that like we just don't need. very emasculating for the guys. Yeah. I mean, it is emasculating for the guys to be told that either they have, you know, low sperm counts or no, you know, whatever it is. Like when it's a sperm thing, it mm-hmm. can be not for everybody, but for a lot of guys, it is like a hit to their manhood. Absolutely. Yeah, I get that. Okay, let's move on to sperm DNA fragmentation. What is it, and when should it be tested? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, the when sperm are being formed, um, they uh, the sort of latter configuration of DNA sort of unravels and splits, and then the cell splits, and you have two cells, and then it regenerates. The DNA regenerates. Um, People who um, people who are have sort of subfertility, we'll say, um, those guys have been shown to have more nicks in their sperm. So what this means is there's in the in the ladder of the DNA, there are little breaks, and those breaks are not sort of good for fertility. Um, and so the, the the assay that tests for this, one of the primary assays that tests for this, um, they actually sort of measure how how many how many breaks there are how many little pieces there are so it, it's called the comet assay and basically if if there's more pieces the tail of the comet is going to be longer um, and so there's more dna breaks so the interesting thing about dna fragmentation is that you can have people who have like stone cold normal uh semen parameters so even normal morphology um, and if you do, if you test their sperm DNA, which you, you don't see under a microscope, so like everything under the microscope looks okay, um, some of those guys will have abno- more DNA breaks. And the DNA breaks are not, they're not good for fertility parameters. So it's been associated with natural, uh, lowered natural pregnancy rates, lower IUI success, lower IVF success. Um, all, all of the, like all the parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, the other side to your question is who should we check? And it's definitely considered a adjunct test. So it's not some, it's not a test that like most people get checked from the very beginning. Most people just get a semen analysis or two semen analyses. Um, but the people that I think should have a DNA fragmentation check are people who have been trying for uh, a longer, longer time. Who it seems like everything else is sort of normal. You know, young female partner, um, semen totally normal. Um, so those guys to figure out if the DNA is part of the issue. People who have failed multiple IUIs or IVFs sort of have taken the next step to fertility treatments and have failed those. Very interestingly, um, antidepressants have been associated for some people with or SSRIs in particular. 
with elevated sperm DNA breaks. So people who are on antidepressants, who I see that on their medication list, um, you know, that's always a discussion point because there's good data to show that those medications in particular can hurt the sperm DNA. Obviously, you can't just like take these people off of their depression medications. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll check a DNA fragmentation. And if it's elevated, then we'll sort of talk to um, the guy's uh, mental health uh, physician and, and see if there's a way that we can like weed them down. Sometimes you can't, but you know, it's, it's more information and there is, there is utility to, um, to the understanding of why. Um, and then varicoceles. The, those dilated veins that drain the testicle, um, those can uh, hurt the sperm DNA. And so sometimes when people are on the fence about whether to do a varicocele surgery, um, we'll check a DNA fragmentation and use that to sort of guide our medical decision-making. Oh, okay. So that gets into my next question, but real quickly, so is it the, the thought being sperm with the DNA fragmentation, they're not going to... Um, be able to fertilize an egg, or if they do, there's a not a good chance that it's going to continue developing. Is that sort of the idea behind if it's fragmented? Yes. So what we think is that the DNA that that sperm is contributing uh, is not as good. And so um, it just sort of, it, it's got less chances of, um, um, you know, making it. Uh, it's interesting because the egg actually has DNA repair mechanisms. And so the egg has this like amazing ability to sort of compensate for some of this, but, um, but obviously like can't do everything. Right. <laughs> we can't do everything. <laughs> <laughs> the so... egg is a powerful thing, but <laughs> it's, uh, you it know, has limitations just like yes. everything else. <laughs> So when do you recommend surgery for varicoceles? And then I had a, there was a specific listener that said, my husband has bilateral varicoceles. Both are, both our RE and urologists recommend against it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, that's an interesting scenario. Um, the people who I recommend varicocele repair or varicocele treatment. Um, so it's always very, it's always sort of, tailored, right? So um, the varicocele surgery, there's two ways to fix varicoceles. One is a small surgery. One is a, uh, a radiology procedure. But I think no matter what, it is it is a procedure. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes guys are like, no, we're not doing that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty sort of non-invasive in terms of how they're repaired. People who I encourage to sort of think about um, are people who have lower sperm counts, or poor motility, um, and people who, um, you know, have not gotten pregnant after a year of time and intercourse. Um, if guys have discomfort, because sometimes these varicoceles can cause like an achy sensation in the testicles, and so sometimes those guys will sort of have it repaired um, to sort of alleviate that discomfort. And then there's also some evidence that uh, there's a good bit of evidence at this point that varicoceles can hurt testosterone production. Um, and so sometimes people who have marginal testosterones will repair them. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, it just, it's, 
it just is like very sort of tailored. Uh, sometimes the couples will say, you know what, we're going to do one IVF cycle and, and see how it goes. Um, you know, the flip side to that is that there is evidence, especially for the bigger varicoceles, that they will actually improve IVF outcomes. Um, but, you know, if, if the guys don't feel comfortable having a procedure, like, you know, I, I don't sort of push them to have it done. Um, but yeah, the, the one other point is that varicoceles come in small, medium, and large. And the idea is that these dilated veins will, um, the, the blood doesn't drain properly from the testicles. So there's both a congestion of blood, but then it's also with this oxygen poor blood. So it's, it's not like, you know, it's not, you know, red, healthy blood that's going to be bathing the testicle in, in oxygen. Um, <laughs> These come in small, medium, and large, and uh, so the the bigger ones. There's definitely lots and lots of studies that show that the bigger ones, um, if you fix them, they're going to have a larger impact on fertility. So usually the larger ones, I sort of encourage people a little bit more to think about having them repaired. Um, the medium ones, uh, depending upon their individual story, um, sometimes we sort of you know make that decision. Um, but even the small ones in in couples who have have done everything else or who really want to sort of optimize everything, then we will for sure repair them. Um, the azospermic guys, the guys who have no sperm in the ejaculate, those that's a sort of a, a small group for the varicoceles, but there is evidence that in about 20% of those guys, if you fix varicoceles, they'll they'll have a couple sperm return to their ejaculate, which is wonderful for those for that particular group. Um, so the flip side, to, and then the the individual patient situation. I, to be very honest, I it's it sounds like a unique situation. I uh, I've definitely sort of encountered gynecologists who don't believe in varicocele repair um, quite as much. Um, but I'm surprised that a urologist would, would sort of not recommend varicocele repair, especially if they're on both sides, um, because both sides can sort of hurt the sperm a little bit more than, than the one side. Um, so I'm not sure why they would say that, but, um, I guess maybe a second um, opinion is in order. <laughs> I don't know. I, you yeah. know, like, just depends we on all, everyone's. The flip side to this is, is like everything else in life, we, you know, physicians are sort of, um, we all see things through the lens of our personal experience, right? So I've seen people improve after varicocele repair. So I believe in that surgery. Maybe that person has not seen that much of an improvement. So maybe they sort of feel like, eh, maybe like it's not, um, it's oversold a bit. I don't, I don't know. Um, I've seen guys do well. And so it's, it's, um, that would be my only sort of thought is, or maybe if there was a lot of female factors that needed to be sorted before, before the male was sort of taken for a procedure. I don't, I don't know, but that's the other thing to always sort of consider is that we all sort of come into this with our own set of experiences and our own lens. And that, you know, that that's true for physicians too. Right. And you're only seeing, you know, one very small piece of their pie. So there, who knows what else is going on and that sort of thing. Um, I have a very curious question while you were talking about the surgery repair. How do you, in a quick way, how can you explain how you do, like I'm imagining a little stint like you would do for a heart <laughs> blockage. 
<laughs> it is that that is um, not that far off. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so the um, the operation's done. Uh, under an operative microscope. So the whole thing is done under this sort of uh, 40 times magnification. Um, and that is really to differentiate artery versus vein. So the arteries bring good healthy blood in, the veins drain the oxygen poor blood out. Um, but we tie off the, the veins that are the dilated veins. And it's sort of like um, blocking a road that has a lot of potholes. So you're you're sort of forcing the blood to drain through healthier healthier veins, oh, which okay. you know blood's going to do path of least resistance. Um, but you want it to drain through veins that have that are nice and small, have like thick, robust walls, and and sort of the valves that allow the blood to drain properly. And all you're doing is tying off the the I hate to say the, the pathologic veins. I'm not going to say the bad veins. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole thing's done under a microscope, which makes it much more sort of safe. And then the actual, you know, cut on the patient is about a centimeter. And so it's pretty sort of small. Very minimal. Um, but does that answer your question? About yeah, no, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's move on to ejaculation. If there is any real data on the frequency of ejaculation and sperm quality and kind of what is the ideal. And I say that because I know just from people I've talked to, there was mix like before your semen analysis get uh uh you know don't don't ejaculate for three days or don't stop it's like different um diff you know <laughs> opinions yeah uh so um there is a there's definitely a component of sort of filling up the bank um mm-hmm. But sperm also have a limited sort of lifespan. So, um, in general, for semen analysis and even for fertility, uh, what I tell guys is the sweet spot is um, somewhere between three and five days. Um, so, for the um, you know, if if for both the semen analysis and for sort of timed intercourse, um, I tell guys um, try and fill up the bank because if you ejaculate on Monday and then you ejaculate on Tuesday, the sperm count's going to be a lot lower on Tuesday. Um, but after about five days, you're going to get a large quantity of sperm, but more of those sperm are going to be dead. And so they're not swimming. They're not really contributing much to your fertility goals. Um, I am surprised at the number of people who uh, are the guy, you know, number of guys who sort of um, masturbate with a high frequency and who, when you tell them to sort of fill up the bank, you can sort of see that it causes them a little stress. But then once you sort of explain it to people, it's, it's sort of, oh, that makes sense. Um, uh, so for the, both the semen analysis and for timed intercourse, um, I tell guys to sort of try and uh, wait five days I mean, more for the more for the the timed intercourse aspect. Uh, the semen, I tell them like three or four, or the semen analysis, um, and then for um, for the frequency of ejaculation around ovulation, um, I tell people the sperm live for about forty eight hours in the reproductive tract. So if if the female knows um, that they're ovulating on Monday, I would tell them to, if, if they're so inclined, like have intercourse on Sunday so that when the egg is released, there's a fresh sort of bunch of sperm there just waiting to fertilize it. Um, and then I tell people 
the day before, uh, either the day before of and after, if the guys can do that. If they can't do that, and, and I, this is, I, I, I think, an important sort of thing to touch on is sometimes the guys just can't. You know, it is definitely a much more sort of active process for the guys to have sex. And, and if they miss a day, like, you know, life goes on. Um, so if you can get them go every other day, that's that's going to be, that's a good, <laughs> that'll get her done too. <laughs> so on average, we should be ejaculating about every two to three days? Well, outside of the ovulatory window, I told, I mean, it's recreational. Right. It's, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, you're sort of so moved to do. But for the fertility end of things, um, 48 hours. Got it. Okay. Or, or less if they're, if they're, you know, so inclined. <laughs> So I've got, we've shared a bunch of articles on this podcast about the um, recent studies about the decline in fertility for men worldwide. Do you have any thoughts about that? Causes or treatments? Yeah. Mostly causes. Even within the urology or within the reproductive urology world, the... A lot of people don't necessarily believe it. A lot of people don't necessarily buy it. They say that, um, and I, I am a little bit inclined toward this this camp, um, that really what it is is that we have just gotten so good at testing semen parameters and we've sort of become so, um, uh, as our sort of microscope abilities have gotten better and our like looking abilities have gotten better and the number of a sort of criteria that we sort of check for has gotten more, um, that that is actually what accounts for it more than actual sort of global sperm counts declining. Um, I think certainly if, if it is, if this is true, obviously like it is sort of cause for concern. Um, and then it's just a matter of like, what is it? Is it, is it the phthalates? Is it environmental stuff is, you know, what, what is causing this? Um, I will say most people, most urologists, if you are reproductive urologists think that it's just from, um, that it's actually not true uh, i hate to say true but that it's more a factor of um better testing methods and less an actual factor of um that you know we're sort of not going to exist and you know yeah right. yeah a little bit of fear mongering and that sort of or it's it's strong. It is scary though yeah i mean right. <laughs> it is scary right no but that makes a lot of sense that you know your ability to analyze sperm is much better in 2020 than it was in 1970 so your data is not you're not comparing apples to apples so right. that makes that makes a lot of sense so <laughs> um so before we get to a lightning round what are just some general like recommendations or tips for men other than you know seeing someone like yourself um anything else that you could offer our listeners um just for men to maintain optimal fertility so um, I'd say the one of the ones that has the biggest bang for the buck is um, testosterone use, um, and I'm amazed at the number of people who get testosterone from people at the gym. Um, I mean, it's a controlled substance, but um, testosterone from the outside does not does not help your fertility. This is different than like the vitamins that you get, like the testosterone supplement. Most of those do not actually have testosterone in it, but they have bodybuilding testosterone supplements like those are not good um 
I hope that distinction makes sense. Yeah, uh, the so ones that you herbal vitamin ones are okay, but the ones that are like injections that you get at, at the gym, like those are not okay. No uh, testosterone unless things. your doctor prescribes it for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then outside from that, because I see that, I mean, and I practice in Los Angeles, so it might be a skewed population. <laughs> but um, uh, outside from that, um, exercise, there's there's a growing body of evidence showing that exercise can improve um, sperm counts. Um, antioxidants, um, you know, these are, I think everybody has their sort of, you know, wants to enjoy like a cocktail every now and again. And I think, you know, but fine, but like, um, antioxidants, I, I believe in to some degree, especially sort of in just healthy foods. So, um, salads, blueberries, walnuts, um, sort of healthy stuff to sort of temper the, um, bad stuff that we all enjoy periodically. Um, uh, what else? Hot tubs, saunas. These are going to say, what about keeping the balls cool? (laughs) Yeah. Hot tubs and saunas, bad. Uh, showers seem to be okay. Um, cause you are still allowing the testicles to sort of auto-regulate the temperature. Um, like testicles still, when you're in the shower has the ability to constrict and relax, but sitting in a hot tub and sauna, they really like, they, they just don't have the ability to sort of cool themselves off cause you're sitting in the hot water. Um, those are the big ones. What about, you know, like putting some frozen peas at, at work? <laughs> You know, like how important is, is it really? <laughs> not really. Uh, there was actually, there was uh, a, there's the state, the study has been done, the underwear study. That was sort of how it was um, informally referred to as it was in the reproductive world. Um, the type of underwear really does not seem to matter. Um, boxers versus briefs, it really does not seem to matter. Um, because in all of them, like the, the veins that drain the testicle have the ability to regulate the temperature. Um, you know, cooling the testicles. What I would say is if the guys want to, fine, but like, don't make them if they, like, cause it, there's really no evidence that it's, it's gonna, that that's going to do anything. But the, if that's something that, you know, it feels good on in the summer, like that's fine. Um, you know, the special underwear, there's really, I think the, there are companies that sell things like these snowballs, the special, the special underwear where it's got, yeah, <laughs> where it's got the, um, the hole so that things stay cooler. Um, there's honestly, there's no evidence to show that those do anything, um, magical, but if, if your husband or I'm sorry, I keep saying if your partner is sort of, um, is okay with that, there's probably, it's probably not going to make anything worse. Right. There's just probably not a whole lot of evidence. that's going to make anything like a whole lot better, but if you've got a go-getter that wants to do everything possible, then go ahead and wear the cooling underwear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to add to that list or should we move on? Um, I would just like to say thank you for hi- highlighting this stuff because I think uh, sometimes the mail is overlooked. And uh, so I, I just give you kudos for sort of wanting to bring him into the, into the discussion. Their voice matters too. <laughs> so can you, before I ask you some, you just mentioned you practice in Los Angeles. What else can you tell us about, about yourself, but outside of urology? 
I have, I have two cats. Um, I, I love to, I personally like love to be outside. I love jogging. Um, I love very randomly birds of prey. That's how we ended up buying our house was there was two red tail hawks that were sort of soaring. Oh, that's um, cool. I also love hummingbirds, but I, I will sort of feed the hummingbirds because I feel like I might just be creating little snacks for uh, the red tail hawks and, and I, don't, I don't feel okay with that. Um, so you're a bird fan. I do. Yeah, I do. I, I I enjoy them. I love watching them soar. I just think they're majestic. What's your favorite hobby? Yeah. Let me think about this. I'm yeah. very into cross stitch right now. Oh, <laughs> randomly. That's cool. Uh, Was that a quarantine hobby that you picked up? Um, I got it in my head that I wanted. Uh, and this is totally going to show up on Etsy now. <laughs> but I wanted a um like a for the house Wi-Fi, I wanted to make a QRL so that when people came in, they could like hover over the QRL and then get attached to the house Wi-Fi. But I wanted it cross-stitched and then I wanted to make like some little like home sweet home with like a little flower border around it. I had, I had the vision. Like, you yeah, know when you yeah. have the vision and you're like, like this is totally not, uh, there's no rational reason why I need this, <laughs> but I really, really, really want it. So I started with the, um, the QRL cross-stitch well, I ordered the QRL online, but the, the border and like yeah. the little home speed home thing. Um, and uh, after that, I, you know, my mom was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you could do this. And I was like, I didn't know I could do this either. <laughs> and so I just started making these sort of like throwback um, embroidery things for, for my family and friends. And they, they take a while. Right. I'm not fast. I am not fast, so we're we're only on like number three. Of them. I'm impressed. That is such a cute idea. You're right. There's a there's a rise in the um, people are are liking the throwback cross stitch. A few quick questions. Okay, <laughs> favorite junk food. Uh, oh, you know what it is? Cheetos. Mm, Cheetos. That's a good one. I yeah. never do Cheetos. <laughs> I never do them because they're like I can't just have one. Absolutely. Uh, what is your favorite? city in the u.s besides the one you live in if it if it is uh oshkosh wisconsin that's where my family lives i like i love my family okay one of your favorite movies here's bueller's day off good choice and and, and thomas kroniker i love thomas kroniker (laughs) um what's one thing on your bucket list I've done very, uh, like, sort of low-level shark scuba diving. Um, But I want to go just – I mean, we're talking, like, low-level, like the baby sharks, like the ones that have recessed teeth so they really can't, like, do anything bad to you. Um, (laughs) But I I, I really enjoy scuba diving, and there's a place in uh, French Polynesia, there's an island – where there's just a boatload of sharks and they're they're like happy sharks it's not like the the baited water where like you know you, they get them all like agitated they're like the happy sharks just sort of doing their thing i want to i want to do that i want to go diving with like the sharks not in a place where they bait the water you know so mm-hmm. like yeah, that doesn't seem right to me but that sounds like very thrilling shark, and fun shark <laughs> shark diving with the happy sharks with like ha- not the agitated yeah. sharks <laughs> only happy sharks please <laughs> i didn't know that that was a thing i'm happy oh, i'm happy I'll to know you, that i'll send you a picture it, it looks freaking amazing it's like it's it looks amazing you're in you're selling me on this idea i like it um <laughs> 
there's one more and we ask everyone this it's it's really irreverent so but i because you have because of your specific um profession i'm very curious what you're gonna say okay it's kind of a fertility related one would you rather have a vagina on your forehead all the time or penises up and down your back (laughs) This is very important, um, doctor. Yeah. Uh, I think I would do the vagina on the forehead. Um, That's the most popular answer. <laughs> I thought maybe you might be swayed, but then again, you see penises all day. So maybe that's well, enough. So there's, I mean, there's, there's multiple, like, so there's multiple sort of layers to the, the answer. So number one, just from a functional perspective, I feel like they might get in the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the other thing is, you know, I would say as like um, a woman in medicine, I'm, I'm very like sort of um, into like the empowered female. And, and so I, you know, I'm totally into like women supporting women. Like I, yes. I don't know. Yeah. I like I, that answer. <laughs> oh okay that was that was the end of my questionnaire you're you're off the hook now i just want to tell you thank you again for coming and talking to us can you please tell a functional vagina a a functional (laughs) vagina yes wow right (laughs) like think so so like i mean you could like have sex with my brain you could (laughs) yes in this scenario (laughs) It's pretty interesting, right? Does it feel good too? Because <laughs> if it feels good, then yeah, I totally would be. Yeah. Although, like, that does make me wonder about the the penis thing because if if it feels good, if it's like, because right. I have wondered. I don't know if we're still recording. I have. I definitely have wondered like what it's like to have sex as a guy. Sure, of course. Like, what does it feel like? What does it feel sure like? Of course, so, if you're so doing if it with your penis. back, though. I don't know if it would be quite yeah, but the like, same. What does the penis feel like? What does it feel like? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll never know and vice never versa. <laughs> until, until we get to have a penis installed on our back. Right. <laughs> then we'll never know. Oh, thank you so much for the laughs and all the good information. I really appreciate you taking the time this morning because I know you have a busy life and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to our listeners. Can you tell them where they can find you? Uh, sure. I, so I'm at university of Southern California. So I'm at USC. Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you can find me on like Instagram, Twitter, Instagram. I have a webpage. Um, or, yeah, I think those are the main the main sort of ways. Yeah, I'll tag your. Um, do you have a website? I do. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll send it to you. It's um, www.maleinfertilitydoc.com. There you go. So I will link all of that, all of your ways that people can find you in the show notes. And once again, Dr. Semplaski, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kayla. You're and, so welcome. You know, I think for the people who are listening, um, keep at it. It's it's not, you know, they tell couples is like for some people it's easy, for some people it's not easy. But uh, don't lose hope. Keep at it, and I'm glad you guys have sort of a support network for each other, for all for each other. Thank you. Thanks to Mary Simplaski, Dr. Mary Simplaski, for coming on and talking to Kayla all about penises and 
urology health and all that. Answering balls and semen. Balls and stuff. Answering questions. You know I had a good time. <laughs> yeah. Kayla loves balls. The Well, I wouldn't go that far. Oh, um, okay. The only thing we didn't get into, and again, I was kind of afraid to ask her, is I was curious what kind of a jerk-off room she has. I bet it's nice. So. I would I would guess a, a urologist would have an even better jerk off room, but we didn't get into that. So, Doctor Simplasky, if you're listening, let us know. Take a picture and put it on Instagram. <laughs> is she on Instagram? She is. Yeah, she is. I'm gonna link all of that in the show notes so that you guys can find her and reach out to her. She's got a lot of great content on the gram. She also has a website. And again, she practices in Los Angeles if you're out in that direction. So, um, yeah, thanks again, Dr. Simplaski. And uh, for all of you, you know where to find us, infertilemafia at gmail.com. You can email us. Um, we're on Instagram, Infertile Mafia Podcasts, our Facebook groups. Infertile you know Mafia, the drill. You know. You'll find you know it. What, you know what's up. Give us a rating, review. We'd love it. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks for joining the Infertile Mafia. Bye. Goodbye.